The Bob Murphy Show, episode 103. Get ready for another episode of The Bob Murphy Show, the podcast promoting free markets, free minds, and grateful souls. It's your source for commentary and interviews conducted by a Christian and economist. Now here's your host, Bob Murphy. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of The Bob Murphy Show. My guest today is going to be Harry Dent, who is the founder of Dent Research. He is a financial analyst who provides commentary and recommendations for investors about the future path of the economy. Uh, He's the author of several books, including Zero Hour. He has a website, harrydent.com, where you can go to sign up for his free e-letter, Economy and Markets. And the reason I have him on here, I mean, it should go without saying I'm not endorsing everything he's going to say, but I thought he'd be an interesting change of pace for the podcast. He has some pretty uh, bold predictions about what the economy is going to do. He thinks, as do I, that the central banks of the world have blown up a giant asset bubble, but he's coming at this from a sort of cyclical perspective. And it's, uh, it's just interesting, I thought, because a lot of his views dovetail with mine, but how he gets there is from a different starting place or, you know, he uses a different method to get to the same types of conclusions, at least qualitatively. So anyway, I thought it'd be a good change of pace for the podcast. Hope you guys enjoy it. Here is my discussion with Harry Dent. Well, Mr. Dent, welcome to the Bob Murphy Show. Yeah, nice to be here, Bob. So uh, why don't you tell us about the thesis of your book, Zero Hour, to start things off? Well, you know, we've had this great boom build up with the baby boom generation, something I identified in the uh, mid to late 80s, that people spend money at a predictable rate and the largest generation in history would cause our economy to boom from the early 80s into around late 2007, and then it would slow down. Well, guess what? We've been living off a quantitative easing ever since. So for the first time in history, the central banks have stepped in globally coordinated and printed like, you know, 17, 18 trillion dollars now of free money to cover over the slowdown, to keep all the debts and bad debts from the last crisis from, you know, doing what they naturally do, deleverage, being written off, the type of things that make you healthy again, like a good cold. And now we're in a bigger bubble than ever. And, And the biggest surprise right now is that the the Federal Reserve, after you know tapering back somewhat in their aggressive quantitative easing, got forced with this repo crisis to put four hundred and twenty four billion dollars in the last four months, and now the stock market is going straight up again. This is a bubble, the greatest bubble in history. It's the second bubble after the tech bubble. In, in my lifetime, and the first really great bubble after 1929 and 1837 before that. That's a 90-year cycle that I've identified in the stock markets throughout history. We're in the greatest bubble in history, and it's about to blow, and everybody thinks everything's kind of okay except for a few people like me. So that's where I'm at. You know, It's just like, my gosh, this should be obvious, mm-hmm. but when people are in a bubble, they're high because their stocks and their real estate 
and everything's doing better than it should and they're getting benefits and they're just like, oh, this is okay. It's not okay. Okay, this is great. So my worldview sounds compatible with yours, but I think it, it we're a little bit distinct. So I had, so I'm a member of the Austrian School of Economics and I had thought that yeah. after the tech bubble burst in the late 90, you know, early 2000, that Greenspan pushed rates artificially low, blew up the housing bubble or at least exacerbated it. There were other yeah. government policies. Then that's the thing that, you know, the chickens came home to roost in 2007, 2008. So are you saying in your mind, there was besides all that, there was this huge demographic shift and that also would have led to problems in 2007? Yeah, yeah. What what really, um, the baby boom was the bubble of all bubbles in our mm-hmm. lifetimes. They caused inflation to bubble when they entered the workforce at great expense, greatest inflation in all of history. Economists can't explain this. I can. It's really simple. It costs a lot of money to put new people, raise them, put them in the workforce. We've never had a generation like this. Well, when they get in the workforce, well, they create the greatest boom in history from 1983 to 2007. 46-year lag to their birthday next. Is that complicated? No, it's that simple. Well, now they're in their investment phase. And in their investment phase where they have the most assets to invest, money, well, the Federal Reserve has finally figured out by accident, they just tried to save the system, the financial system, when everything melted down with excessive debt and the slowdown in demographics from the baby boom in 2008 forward, uh, they what happened was, oh, it didn't generate bank lending against and growth in the money supply, but they didn't realize what did happen when they put a trillion dollars plus right off the bat and then more to follow. Oh, it created a bubble in financial assets, stocks, real estate. So we had a first bubble that was natural. Uh, because the economy was so good and then people get, you know, more and more confident until the bubble blows up. But this second bubble since 2009 in real estate again and more so in stocks and more globally and now in emerging countries in debt is the greatest in history, but it's totally artificial. This bubble was not driven by technologies like the internet moving mainstream, not driven by baby boomers growing up, earning, spending money, becoming more productive. It's driven by more money chasing the same financial assets and driving them up. Now, my original indicator, Bob, was the spending wave. I I, I discovered this in 1988 after seeing it generally before that, but I finally got an indicator, concrete, 46-year lag on the birth index, boom and bust. You can predict it decades in advance. That indicator now today says the stock market is 120% going towards 130 to 140% overvalued for where the economy and Main Street is mm-hmm. after a decline in baby boom spending and natural trends. Well, 120% means a big crash. That has come from companies buying back their own stocks with cheap money printed by the Fed, all this money. By the Fed, it didn't go into the banking system to lend to businesses and consumers. Why? We didn't need to after the great boom and everybody was over leveraged, over in debt. So they created this artificial bubble in financial assets, which at least made the top 20 percent and even more so the top 1 percent much more wealthy and they're spending more money. So instead of a 4 percent plus recovery, With all this stimulus, we're getting 2%. Everyday people aren't seeing much of a boost, but the wealthy are seeing a boost. So we're growing at 2%, the slowest recovery in history. And everybody thinks, well, that's not bad. Well, it's not bad, except 
financial assets are 120% overvalued in stocks. I, I, my indicators say 40 to 50% overvalued in real estate. So when this next bubble's burst, we're going to see a lot of money disappear and we're going to be in a deeper downturn than 2008 to nine. I see this happening between about mid 2020 and late 2022 for the stock markets and into 2023 down for the economy. So I think it's the worst thing we're going to see in our lifetime. Mm -hmm. And then the greatest opportunity for investment when everything's finally below fair market value, (laughs) real estate stocks instead of way above. So, yeah, I I do want to uh, in a minute here get into, you know, obviously people want to know, okay, this thing's coming. What do we do to get ready for it? And how do we profit? But just to to dwell, and you you made some allusions to this, so I think I know what your answer is, but just for the sake of completeness, guys like me, you know, the biggest pushback we got is, oh, you guys were warning about runaway price inflation. You know, I wasn't using the word hyperinflation, but I yeah. did think prices were going to rise more rapidly than they did. So it sounds like to me, you know, your, is your explanation, well, you did see price hikes. It was just an asset prices, not in the loaf of bread. Exactly. Normally, when when governments stimulate and, and make borrowing easier and stuff or lower interest rates, it'll go into the banking system. Banks will people, consumers and businesses will borrow more money at a 10 to one ratio. New loans create new money, but it goes into the banking system. It goes into consumer and business spending. And therefore, that would be the result. Such massive inflation as we saw with, with the Federal Reserves and central banks around the world would have caused consumer price inflation. But no, it didn't go into the banking system, didn't go into new loans, money creation on that level. It's simply now the Federal Reserve and central banks take money out of thin air, just like the banking system can do with new loans. But instead, they buy treasury bills, treasury bonds, and even stocks in Japan they put more money into the financial asset pool, which is a, a, a pool of fixed financial assets. Now you got more money chasing those financial assets, so they go up more than they should. And so stocks are 120% overvalued, real estate's 50% overvalued. You know, I, we've got the, the, the inflation that a lot of people in the gold bug community saw coming from money printing. And I mean, really, that would have been the natural presumption. Mm-hmm. Federal Reserve, central banks printing money out of thin air faster than ever that would cause more money chasing consumer goods. Well, no, consumers were spent out, businesses have overexpanded. So the money did not go into spending and new loans. It went into just simple asset inflation, which has made the rich even richer. And they're the only ones spending money. Mm-hmm. What's I, yeah. $250 million homes. Yeah. What's ironic about that is even the defenders of QE point to that, you know, the, like they would call it the recovery in asset prices. You know what I mean? So both sides agree it was the Fed's policies pushing up asset prices. We just looked at it as blowing a bubble and they looked at it as, you know, fixing the economy. <laughs> well, you know, it's even more evident now. Mm-hmm. Just, just since September, when the repo crisis happened, the Federal Reserve did finally taper and started selling off their bonds and took some of this liquidity out of the financial asset markets, which means bank reserves and everything else contracted. And all of a sudden, banks stopped lending to each other overnight to, to support a lot of leveraged investing, by the way, uh, which is bad. <laughs> so the Fed had to step in and print a bunch of new money to save the repo crisis. And they mm-hmm. ended up now, in the last four months, printing twice as much money per month as they did in the peak of quantitative easing and stocks, guess what, on a literally a two-week lag, Bob. Two-week lag to September 15th, early October, straight up. 
Mm-hmm. And right in line, the more the Fed throws money in the financial markets, the more stocks go up. Hey, it's bonds and it's real estate and stuff, but most of the money ends up in stocks because that's the best beneficiary mm-hmm. and the best yield you know, for investors from this bubble. So we're just creating a bigger bubble. And there's one thing that bubbles do. And I've, I've tracked every bubble now in the last 10 years. I've, I've become a bubble expert after a demographic cycle expert. Bubbles only burst because they go so extreme. Stocks are, are more overvalued than any time in history on nine out of 10 indicators, except for one. And even that one, if you just for half the growth in this recovery, is overvalued more than any time in history. This is the biggest bubble in history. And so, the, the again, I, the central banks didn't intend to do this. They were trying to save the banking system. Mm-hmm. It didn't work because banks didn't lend. Consumers and, and businesses didn't borrow even the tax cuts from Trump. They didn't invest that money in new capacity. They don't need it. They're over, over capacity. China's over capacity more than any country in the world, and they're the second largest and fastest growing. So you have this bubble that has been created, this monster. And the Fed, even when they tried to taper, the system went back to them and said, no, we need this money. Right. And, 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 and if you don't put it in, uh, we're going to die. And so now the, the, the drug dealers feeding financial drugs to the drug addict even more than ever, even though they didn't intend to. You know why? The Fed was stupid in the first place. To think you can just cover over a financial crisis with free money, something for nothing, take a drug to make you feel better and not think there's consequences. This, to me, will go down as the stupidest government and federal policy, federal uh, reserve and and central bank policies in history. And yet even people like Warren Buffett say, oh, this is okay. They're doing the right thing. This was not the right thing from the beginning. If we had taken our medicine and let some banks and companies fail and restructure debt and deleverage, we would have had a deeper downturn, but we'd have been at the bottom by 2010 and been coming out of this by now, not weakly, but strongly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I uh, I had a book that I did on the Great Depression, and I pointed out that all the standard you know, economic arguments for why it was so bad were even worse in 1920 and 21. And yet a lot of people don't even know about the depression of 1920 and 21 because yes. it was it was over and done with, you know, ripped the Band-Aid off. Um, <laughs> so let me ask you, um, can you just elaborate on your views? So what happened last fall with the repo? Because it was hilarious. I mean, there were like, you know, places like Zero Hedge were running apocalyptic things, but the, you know, establishment was like, oh, no, no, this is some corporations had their tax bill due to, and then all of a sudden, oh, it turned into like a permanent yeah, yeah. facility. It's like, yeah, wait a minute, right. this is yeah, a one, tax, you know, one-off thing. Yeah. Hey, this <laughs> happens every quarter. Why did it happen then? Right. It happened on a lag. The Fed reduced its balance sheet from four and a half trillion down to three point seven five trillion. That was seven hundred fifty billion. They pulled out of the liquidity thing, but the reserves that banks hold, which is disproportionate, went down twice that. And the Mm -hmm. bank reserves went down to the point where the banks didn't feel comfortable lending to each other. And banks know that, you know, the the thing is, oh, no, no, the crisis is over. The banks know they still have all the bad loans. They didn't write them down. Mm -hmm. And we've taken on more loans. And the emerging world has taken on most of debt since then. And they're the most prone to default. So banks don't trust each other. So, So that's why the repo crisis happened. It wasn't a short term blip. It's long term that why would a short term crisis take 
by by mid January, four hundred and twenty four billion dollars, mm-hmm. twice as much as the most rapid QE just to support the repo system. Now, right now, it, it's backing off a little bit because the Fed overdid it, you know, to compensate. But I right. tell you, I don't see why this won't continue. And the market's going to continue up in direct response to this because money printing and I, here, here, here's what the Federal Reserve says, and this is wrong. Oh, we're not doing quantitative easing because when they did that in 2009, they bought more bonds, longer term bonds to suppress long term interest rates, which helps corporate borrowing, but also allows companies to borrow money cheap and buy their own stocks back and leverage earnings per share, which is all hokey pokey stuff. Mm-hmm. That, that's fake growth, too. So. They're saying, oh, this isn't quantitative easing because we're only buying T-bills and buying repos. My view is very simple. You have this pool of fixed assets, stocks, companies, real estate, commodities, whatever that people invest in. This money's going out of nowhere into that pool, into the financial system. They buy financial assets from institutions with money from nothing, which adds more money to this pool, which pushes up all financial assets for no reason no market accountability, no valuations, and the valuations get higher till the bubble blows. So they've saved the economy by blowing up a financial asset bubble, which will only burst and cause the greatest crash in stocks and real estate. And that, I think this doesn't last, it's so unsustainable at this point, doesn't last past this year, somewhere between May and the election, probably closer to May. I think this bubble peaks. Mm-hmm. And and the first bubble crash, Bob, I've done my research on this too. The last seven major stock bubbles around the world, 42% in the first two and a half months. That's the typical first crash. You'll know this bubble's over, not when there's a 20% or 25% as we've seen recently, correction, when the first whack is bam, 42% give or take in the first two to three months. And then people panic and then they sell Mm-hmm. And then it's over. And then it keeps going down after a bounce after that. So it's, so this is, uh, I think we are going to see, I'm just warning people and everybody's not going to get this. There's no way. I'm just trying to get to a couple percentage of the people and say, look, save your financial assets, your, your real estate, your stocks, even gold, because that's going to go down as well, even though it'll be one of the first to bounce back and go down the lease. Save your financial assets, take your profits and run. And I'd give it a few more months here because we're still in a strong run here, it looks like. But take it to the top like Joseph Kennedy. Let the crash happen. 89% in blue chip. This is not small caps or bad ch- or penny stocks. 89%, the best companies in the world back then, went down 29 to 32. And then you rebuy. Real estate went down 26% back then because people couldn't borrow against real estate and create bubbles. Real estate will go down 40 to 50 percent this time. Then you buy this stuff and then your wealth can can magnify very quickly buying things that cheap. You hold on to this stuff and hope the government's right and Warren Buffett's right. You're mm-hmm. going to see your wealth evaporate faster than any time in history. And the only consolation is, is the people in China will have it happen faster than us because mm-hmm. they have much more overvalued real estate and stock markets and much more invested in real estate net worth. So that's the only consolation. The Chinese will hurt more than us. We'll win the trade war only because of that. So can I ask you, It's your timing, it's interesting, lines up roughly with you know what I had been telling um, you know people who follow my newsletter and whatnot. 
because, and I was just using like the standard, you know, yield curve inversion just to show that sort of is what, what is it like, what factors did you look at, you know, for you to give that sort of time frame in terms of when you think this is going to hit? Well, you know, I, I'm using Bob more because this is so, I mean, this has busted some of my cycles and a lot of things because it's, it's being fed by so much money mm-hmm. coming in the markets, pushing it up. So I'm really looking more at bubble models, how they go. And, and I, I, at first, Bob thought when Trump got re, uh, elected by surprise and he had that right. 3000 points, you know, down 2000 and ended up up a thousand and one night and in the morning, mm-hmm. I said, oh, this is finally what I call the last blow off orgasmic space. By the way, bubbles look just like the male orgasm chart, you know, documented by uh, uh, scientists like back in the 1950s. So, (laughs) Um, but that's not true. We're in it now. The correction, 25% in stocks in late 2018 was like the tech correction of 30% in late 98. And then Mm -hmm. the final internet driven bubble was from late 98 into early 2000. We are following that pattern almost exactly. And that pattern was suggest by two indicators. One is that the same time period of the final blow off would put us at late May in a Dow uh, NASDAQ of about 11,000 and a Dow about 33,000. Or since the whole boom since since um, 2009 is now 20 percent longer than the long boom from 1990 to 2000. If you stretch it a little bit for that, about 20 percent is late as September or close to the election. Either way, this bubble is going to burst this year by those bubble calculations, because because what I tell about the problem with bubbles is they kill themselves. Mm-hmm. It doesn't need a trigger. The 2000 tech bubble, there was no recession, no bad indicators for the economy, nothing. It's just the bubble got so extreme because of the internet stocks. And by the way, people don't realize the Fed threw 120 billion in three months into the economy to protect against Y2K, same quantitative easing liquidity. Stocks went, got hyped, went right up with that, just like they're doing now. And they pulled it back in January, and two months later, the stock market dropped 42.5%, that same 42% in the first two and a half months. So so bubbles, when they get this exponential, if this continues, cannot last that long. So I think it's going to top this year. I'm just going to have to keep mo- I'm monitoring how much the Fed is, is pumping because of this repo crisis. They actually backed off in the last week mm-hmm. and, and, and a little bit more in the last month. So uh, we'll see, but I think they're going to have to pump again. But as long as they're pumping, this thing's going to go up. And when they stop pumping or when they realize they're, they're out of control, this thing's over. And I tell you, it's going to be really quick. You'll know when it's over, when it's down 40% in the first two to three months. And then it's too late. Right. And well, the- then it ultimately will go down. Bubbles don't crash 30 40 50% like normal bull markets. They crash 70 80 90% in stocks. 30, 40, 50% in real estate. So this is going to be very much more painful than 2008 and nine when it occurs. Okay. Well, you just, you touched on something I want to ask you. So I think most of my listeners generally agree with your worldview, but they might say, you know what? We've been worried ever since 2009 that this is unsustainable. And so how do we know, Harry, that what if they just do QE5? You know, like, how do we know they're just going to keep pumping for another six years? You, You know, so how... 
Well, they just did QE5. That's the point. Right. <laughs> they tapered and the system didn't let them out. The system mm -hmm. says we need this liquidity. Why does it need liquidity? They never fit. We still have a sick patient, you know, in the emergency ward. They're mm -hmm. just on life-saving, life-sustaining drugs, basically ready to die. They never let the system heal as happened. And in the 2932 crash, we wrote off a lot of debts. And, and financial asset bubbles burst, and real estate, stocks, commodities, everything. So we came, we came roaring out of that depression. We didn't come roaring out of this one because they didn't let the system reset and rebalance. So it's still sitting there saying, "No, we still got all the same problems." Oh, now we have more debt, and and it's been stretched farther, and now stocks are more overvalued. You know, on and on and on and on. So, so they've just postponed this thing. So it always means if you're going to kick the can down the road, if you're not going to face something in your life or in financial markets, that doesn't matter what it is. If you don't face a problem, it gets worse. If you fix a problem, face it, deal with it, work it out, it gets better. That's mm -hmm. how you learn and grow. Well, we didn't learn and grow from the last crisis. And, and I'm just still scratching my head that people as wise as Warren Buffett and a lot of leading you know, people in, in corporate America and, and Wall Street say, oh, this is OK. The Federal Reserve's doing the right thing. They're just preventing a downturn. You don't prevent downturns. What are you playing, God? You're saying we don't need to go to sleep at night and restore ourselves. We don't need a recession now and then. We don't need a cold now and then to clean out our system. What the hell is wrong with these people? I, I really say, Bob, these people, I feel like Jim Cramer at one time, know nothing. They are looking at the symptoms. They do not understand the causes of growth. It's demographics. It's innovation. And when you try to regulate the economy, never let it reset, never let it innovate and grow again, it dies. Japan's been doing this longer than us, and they've been in a coma economy for 30 years. Proof of what we're going to go through if we don't stop this quantitative easing. Mm -hmm. It's just baloney. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's I know something for nothing. Where has that ever worked in your life? I asked anybody, does something for, do you get something for nothing? Even people who win the lottery blow it nine out of 10 times. Mm -hmm. You don't get something for nothing. You got to earn it. We are, we are setting ourselves up. I'm telling you, this is going to go down very badly in history. And I mm -hmm. just want to die knowing I'm on the right side of it, that at least I warned about it. Even, you know, even if they do quantitative 10, 12, 15 easing, and it keeps going up before I die. This is not going to happen, by the way, Bob. I'm right, joking. Right, this right. is, I'm telling you, this is the final. You know, I've studied these bubbles. Now I can measure it more. This is the final phase. And it only lasted five to six months last time in late 99, early 2000. Could last a little longer. But this thing's going to blow this year and mm -hmm. probably sooner than later. I, late May is the soonest I'm looking at. Okay. So that's not far away. No, not at all. Okay. I know I got you just for about five minutes here. So can you just elaborate a little more? So, be, you know, before you wanted telling people, oh, get out of the assets or at least soon, let them come down in price and then scoop them back up. So where do they go? You know, because it's not like you don't even like gold for this this temporary liquidity period. So where, where do they go? Like just literal cash or what? Yeah, we, we still like gold short term because it's in a rebound from its collapse, but it's it's a bear market rally, but it could go back okay. up to 17, 28, 10. There, I would, and, and gold went up in the early stages of the last crisis. So gold is okay right now, but it, no, it, it, as the crisis gets into deflation rather than the inflationary expectations of gold, 
uh, buyers and investors, it's going to go down as well. But but gold, I think, could go down just maybe to thousand, seven hundred at worst. That okay. stock market is going to go way more than that. Mm. Most silver, most other commodities, way more. Gold's okay for now, but you got to get out of it, especially if it gets back closer to the highs. Uh, stocks are going to go higher, maybe 10, 20 percent, maybe more. But then uh, I, my, I have this trend line through the NASDAQ exponential log graph because it is a bubble, exponential. And it says by about 10,400 mid this year, it'll be back at that top level. And it could go a little above that. When it gets up over 10,000, I'm going to start to worry about the NASDAQ. Right now, it's not there yet. That, that, that may take a couple more months, but 10,000 plus next few months, time to start pulling back. Another thing you can do, you buy put options to protect your stocks, mm -hmm. which are very cheap when a market goes straight up like this and nobody thinks there's much downside and there hasn't been for a long time. So that's one thing. Real estate, real estate, you got to get out of now. Any real estate you don't plan to keep forever or that is really overvalued in most major cities, Manhattan, Miami, San Francisco, LA, Vancouver, you know, you go, the most overvalued cities are going to go down the most. People say, oh no, they're the best cities. No, the best cities bubble the most. Omaha, where Warren Buffett lives, is not going to go down that much because it never bubbled in the first place because nobody wants to live there and eat a Dairy Queen <laughs> but him, okay? So the more overvalued, the greater the bubble, the greater the burst. So the most inflated assets, stocks, real estate, now commodities are still undervalued compared to most, but they bounce. They're going to go down one more time too. I would be buying now the flip side and my long-term cycles from the beginning I've been expecting a long-term low in financial assets like stocks and commodities around late 2022. So if we top this year and have the typical two-and-a-half-year depression-like major crash, that'd be perfect. First things I buy are gold and silver and commodities at the bottom. I buy the emerging countries and especially India and Southeast Asia first because they have the strongest demographics and the least debt. China overexpanded so much, I wouldn't touch it for at least five years, and eventually it'll come back. But the emerging countries, commodities, especially gold. I tell you, gold's going to have a boost it never had before. That supply and demand, the people who buy the most gold compared to their incomes are Asians, and Indians buy three times as much compared to their income as China. And India is going to be the big growth country in the next boom after China was in the last one. So gold's going to do well, commodities do well, emerging countries, and then the aging sectors. In the United States, I'm telling you right now, I said 2018 to 19 was the bottom of the nursing home market for the last generation because it's the last thing to boom. That's going to boom for 26 years ahead, and they'll never build enough nursing homes and assisted living that's going to be the place. Cruise ships uh, keep going up in age. I tell you, there's going to be a, right now, I mean, 10 years ago, peak age was 70 after 60 for global travel. Cruise ships peak later because it's the easy, easiest way to take a vacation, even more so for older people. There's going to come a time when people walk off the cruise ship at age 74 to 80 and right into a nursing home. Those mm -hmm. are two great sectors among many pharmaceuticals, vitamins, skin care to invest in in the next boom because the baby boom is going to still outweigh the millennials because it's a bigger generation uh, mm -hmm. as they age. So, so the great places to invest, but the next boom, Bob, 
my final statement is not going to be like the last one. From 83 to 2007 and even into this extended bubble, everything went up. Emerging countries, developed countries, small cap, large cap, real estate, commodities, most. No, it's not going to be that way next time. You're going to have to be in the right demographic sectors, the right commodity sectors, especially metals and energy. And, and that's the way you have to play the next boom, because the emerging world is going to be booming. The developed world is going to be much slower due to demographics in coming out of this. And some countries are never going to boom again, like Japan. Japan's dead, dead forever. Mm -hmm. well, well, thank you for the, uh, the prognosis there, uh, folks. Uh, this is BobMurphyShow.com slash 103. My guest has been Harry Dent. His website is harrydent.com. He's the author of Zero Hour. Harry, thanks so much for being part of the show. Yeah, real quick, Bob. We have a yeah. free daily newsletter going to harrydent.com so people can get to know us. I know it sounds radical what we're saying, but not, not so much to your audience. But, but you can just get to know us. You just put your email in harrydent.com and you're on our newsletter. Then you can decide if we know what we're talking about. Okay, well, great. Thanks so much for being a part of the show, Harry. Okay, thanks, Bob. Take care. You've just experienced another episode of The Bob Murphy Show, the podcast promoting free markets, free minds, and grateful souls. For more information and to subscribe to this podcast, visit bobmurphyshow.com.